Episode 29, Artist and Curator John Eden. My name is Michael Delgado and I'm your host. I'm in the yard of the Huron substation in Cypress Park. The building used to power the Pacific Electric red cars that ran along the 26th. You can almost hear the hum of the power lines and the clang of the trolley. Acting like he owns the place, my appointment steps out of the cavernous station back door into the hammering heat of an L.A. summer. It's time to meet. You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s, medium height, fattish, soft all over, Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any, and, oh yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. 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 Normally, I come to you from the library bar in the Mayfair Hotel, but today we're on location with the A.G. Geiger Bookmobile at the Huron Substation in Cypress Park. We're here for Station Market LA, a curated collection of unique home furnishing and local designer pop-ups. There's some very cool products here. I, I uh, encourage you to check it out, and you can, you can follow them at Station Market LA on Instagram, and you can learn more about when the next one will be. It's really worth a visit. My guest today is artist and curator John Eden. John received his undergraduate degree from the San Francisco Art Institute, where he studied film, but service in Vietnam interrupted his studies. Later, he earned his MFA at USC, where he finished the acclaimed Pale series. A gorgeous bit of color field painting in encaustic, the Pale series demonstrated Eden's mastery of materials, color, and light. But John was attracted to sculpture and an admirer of his studio neighbor John McCracken, the artist best known for fiberglass planks. McCracken introduced John to the artists most associated with the LA Cool School, including Dwayne Valentine, Craig Kaufman, and Larry Bell. John also befriended Jack Brogan, the master craftsman who constructed all of the pieces from those artists and others. Under Brogan's tutelage, Eden created the Randell series, a group of meticulously crafted fiberglass discs painted in metal flake. He's here to talk about those pieces, his current show, Fear in the Sky, and I'm sure he'll spin some tales about the colorful characters that formed what would be called the California Cool School. We're recording from the substation yard, so please excuse some of the ambient noise like motorcycles and helicopters. It's life in the big city, after all. Please welcome John Eden. Welcome, John Eden. Well, welcome, Michael. Glad to be here. <laughs> well, I am welcome to be here. So we're out of the Huron substation, Huron substation, which was a trolley substation on the red car, yes? It's a cool space, you should check it out. It's on Huron Station, or it's at Huron Station, and we are at the Station Market LA, which is also at Station Market LA on Instagram. Check it out. So the bookmobile has made its appearance, and um, as an inspiration for today's talk, I thought I'd invite John, who uh, knows quite a bit about the influence of car culture and surf culture and aerospace industries on what became, you know, synonymous with Finnish fetish and California cool school, and uh, what's the other one that uses the spectacle of skill? Yes, spectacle of skill. And that's a Richard Hughes quote, actually. Oh, really? Yes. I wonder where that came from. 
So we're going to talk about that, but uh, right now John has curated a show called Fear in the Sky. It's at the West Los Angeles College Art Gallery. Correct. Out in Culver City. Yes, yes on right. the hill overlooking Santa Monica. Yeah, it's a beautiful view. We it went is. there. Uh, I went there with a friend who happens to be in the audience. He will remain nameless. Uh, and we went there on when was that? Monday, Tuesday, right. Tuesday. Yep. And uh, there is a review up on the blog hegeiger.com. Please check it out. But I wanted to talk about the show, um, and I will just let I'll stop jibber jabbing and let John oh, don't do that. <laughs> let John <laughs> talk about the show, Fear in the Sky. All right. Basically, the show is about flight and uh, aerial surveillance and all of the other things that are associated with aviation since uh, the beginning of aviation until uh, until now. And uh, so it really explores the uh, the fact of aviation as a beautiful thing with a lot of positive elements, but it also takes into consideration all of the dark elements that uh, are involved in aviation. I was in the, uh, the Air Force during the Vietnam uh, War and I guarded B-52s that were loaded with nuclear bombs. So I sat, sat there at night. Could you smoke near it? No, you couldn't smoke. I mean, there was nothing you could do except stand there and uh, get eaten by mosquitoes or whatever. But um, basically, I just stood around the vehicle, and I was really close. I was probably within feet of this, the missile and everything. I was on a sack base. Everything was loaded to go in case it was, uh, we were going to go to war with Russia or whatever country. And uh, so I'd stand around the vehicle at night. And these B-52s are monstrous. They're really, they're beautiful things. And in the nighttime, they cast shadows, mystical shadows. And, and the fact that they are so crazy, devastating, I think added to the whole specter of the experience. And I, I had stood with me. I think it's, uh, it's one of those things that people talk about how light and space affects people. Well, believe me, that light and space at that point in time really affected me in a, in a profound way, and I couldn't get out of it. I really, to this day, I'm still like locked into that feeling of what it felt like to be there in that proximity. And so, so, so that was that feeling. Is that's the genesis of the show, or you like? Yeah, I think that's it? probably when it started. I, you know, I, when I was in uh, middle school, I took an aviation science class, and um, so, and I've always been interested in aviation because it's Southern California aviation is kind of the uh, thing was kind of the thing here during that period of time. Uh, just after World War II and uh, you know all of the all of the aircraft uh, plants were here Lockheed was here a lot of the kids that I went to school with parents worked for Lockheed and some of the other uh, aerospace industries in the you know in Southern California so it was kind of in the air and it was it affected everything and it was combined with other things. There was like surfing going on, so there was like a surfboard culture. And then there was like the lowrider culture that um, 
that we were influenced by too and I think that it was just the, all of those combination of things made me interested in that making that kind of art right and and so I mean the the early your earlier work though was primarily more painting painterly yeah but you know what it's a that's a misnomer in the fact that my early work was predicated on um, going to Japan and going through the uh, the Peace Museum in Hiroshima because um, <clears throat> my father had a photograph when he was when I was a kid growing up and my mother didn't like to have it come out but it came out occasionally and it was a picture of my father standing next to a Japanese woman who I think he was thinking seriously about marrying uh, but somehow that didn't happen but but the image of those two, and they were in Hiroshima Harbor. Oh, wow. So when I went to Japan in 1980 after, after grad school, um, I visited that location. I wanted to see where my father was. Yeah, hang on a second. I... Yeah. So I went to Hiroshima because I wanted to retrace my father's footsteps. He was a military policeman and he came into uh, Hiroshima two weeks after the bomb to, with American scientists to measure the devastation. Oh my God. And so I had a personal connection with that whole thing. And that was what so, was so ironic about going into the Air Force and being in the exact fucking same place as my father was in 1945. So it was like, you know, it was a heavy thing. So I, I went there and I went through the Peace Museum. It was a strange thing that happened because I was, I was lingering at the entrance of the space and I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to do it. It's like, it's a pretty heavy thing yeah, yeah, yeah. from an American point of view to go there. And it was very close to an anniversary. And the Japanese are more sensitive then than they are normally. Sure. So this Japanese man came up to me and talked to me and he said, you know, I'd, I'd really like to pay your way into to see the exhibit. And so I thought, well, okay, I'll go in. And uh, I went through the whole thing, and I thought, you know, you, it's just the stuff that you see in there is unspeakable. You right, can't, yeah. you can't explain how it feels to see the reflect the images of people that were complete completely atomized by the bomb yeah, yeah. but their shadow is the still on the stone yeah I've seen those photos yeah well believe me when you see them in person <laughs> it really is quite different <laughs> no I'm sure so yeah. so I go through the the exhibit and I'm thinking to myself there's no way I'm going to ever be able to express this this right. is like beyond anything that I've ever experienced and I went outside and the guy is standing there and he wants my impression of what I just went through Wow. And so, so what happened was, I couldn't explain it, but I went home and I started making paintings with the same shape that my father was standing behind in those photographs. Wow, I wondered where that and, came from. And it's the pale series, and basically a pale is a, is a barrier. If you know anything about Irish history, you know that you don't go beyond the pale, right? right. <laughs> and it's the whole Irish thing. And, uh, but I used that as a device that explained my Tory gate because that's what I was recreating with those paintings. So my paintings were political way back. back then, I always I felt, 
I, most people didn't know that because I didn't really want to talk about it. I was, I was really kind of uh, traumatized by it and didn't like it. Didn't like coming to terms with the fact that you know that my father was there and you know the whole history of it all. It's kind now of they, tough. Just since this is radio, the the pieces are are relatively large, right? They're like four by five feet. They were so. large. It was seven by uh, nine pieces oh, okay. that were in the, that that yeah, show. and then they're like kind of color fieldish in terms they of like large. They are very beautiful. Yeah, they are nice pieces. I but they're big blocks of color, and then the colors resonate. With encaustic paint, so the the color is a particular kind of uh, color that you get with an encaustic that you can't get with regular oil paint. Right. So they are very uh, very light and spacey, I think. Yeah, no, they're really beautiful paintings. So, and then, so you decided to put together a show that kind of addresses these themes of death from above, so to speak, right? And you, you knew a lot of these artists for a long time, right? They're the same generation as yourself yes. and, and, uh, and, and address similar, similar issues, right? Um, I was particularly struck by the Bob Wilhite piece and the, what this Absolutely. is, Fat Man, right? The bomb, it's called. Yeah. And yeah, it's the Nagasaki bomb, the second bomb that was dropped on Japan. That ended the war. That was the, the yeah. you know the end bomb of World War Two. Yeah, but and it but it's constructed. It I mean it's like not quite to scale. I'm not sure. Is it to scale? It's no, pretty it's lifestyle. the actual, actual it is. scale. Yeah, wow. and uh, but it's it's constructed from wood and it's extremely precise and it's like these lath pieces that uh, you know it's kind of airy, but it's unmistakably a bomb but it's it's absolutely gorgeous uh which is you know uh, to my mind as i wrote in in the review um shows that you know the technology you know can be used for good or evil um and and it's just you know how we go about about doing it but the the other pieces in the show are a little less heavy um so, like, I was Thank God, could you imagine a whole show with that? <laughs> People would pay to stay away, right? <laughs> and then, um, but all the, all the pieces in it are an impeccably crafted, and, and this is why I wanted to segue into, um, you know, the Finnish fetish and, and schools, uh, cool, cool school um, sort of things. I mean, you had mentioned... Uh, growing up around the aerospace industry and car culture and all that, but the you're not quite of the the light and I mean, excuse me, the uh, finished fetish school. I mean, you're a little younger. No, I'm after younger. that. Yeah, and it was it was a school that influenced me. I think I always appreciated a lot of that work, and uh, most specifically uh, Judy Chicago's. I think uh, car hood pieces were probably which ones. <coughs> The car hood pieces, oh. automobile hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like the fact that it, they were found objects, and then she went to the school at LA Trade Tech to learn how to uh, spray paint. Like to auto body work? Yeah, she did. She went uh, and enrolled in the classes at uh, LA Trade Tech and did the whole thing, and she nailed those pieces. They're beautiful, they're beautiful to look at, they're really smart. They really kind of captured that 
you know, the early feminist uh, ideas that she had in a perfect way, and I think they're like masterpieces, frankly. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, um, I vaguely recall them I'm for, after such an uh, august description from yeah, your well. stuff. I'm like, I don't remember those. But um, that's my bad. Well, I have a different attitude. What can I say? But you do you you do work now in conservatory work around these kinds of pieces, right? Or am I mistaken well, I, about that? I spent a lot of time with Jack Brogan working, learning how to <clears throat> to do that kind of technique and all of the all the processes involved in making that kind of work. And Jack was really kind of uh, gracious enough to let me come in, and he taught me how to do to do all the things that I do now. I really owe a lot to Jack because of that. And Jack is, like, for those of you not don't know, is, is um, like, how would you describe him? You know, he's he an artist in his own enabler. right. But, yeah, he is yeah. the art enabler. Uh, <laughs> since the 60s, he's actually done most of Robert Irwin's pieces after the line paintings. Oh, wow. And that includes the dot paintings, the discs, the, uh, you know, the prisms, uh, the columns, uh, pretty much everything that Irwin's done, except he didn't work on the uh, scrims. Oh. He did, uh, and the funny story about that is that Doug Christmas gave those scrims that he had left over from a Doug Wheeler show to Robert Irwin to do his first pieces with. So that's kind of a little... So what happened to so there were scrims and then they were scrims that uh, that uh, Doug Wheeler left at right. Ace Gallery when oh. he was finished showing. Oh, they weren't. Oh, I see what you're they saying. They were so used they were, scrims oh, that Doug Wheeler used. <laughs> repurposed. They were repurposed by Robert Irwin, and he refashioned them for his own purposes. Huh. Little known. Yeah. Thing, there but. you go. Tales of the art underworld. See, yep. that's why we call it this. <laughs> Here's to you, yeah, Michael. Cheers. So, um, so it, that reminds me then of your current work, which is in the you refer to as rondelles, and they're spectacularly crafted as well. They're um, you can maybe describe them better than me, but they're fiberglass, right? They're fiberglass discs, and I did them between 19, uh, 2012 and 2016, I believe. Um, and basically, they're military aircraft insignias uh, that are on the discs themselves, and they're they're made with um, metal flake paint, which is my kind of my nod to uh, the car culture, California car culture, and and using metal flake paint to uh, to do that with. I know. Well, they're spectacular that way because they they are luminescent and they're really beautiful and they catch light in a very spectacular way. There's a picture of it on the uh, on our website right now, but you're gonna give me a much nicer one. I'm gonna one. give you a good one. Yeah. I promise. So, yeah. So and then we'll I, I will find the Judy Chicago picture. I'll put those up too. That would be good. <laughs> I think people need to know more about those pieces. Those are pretty amazing. They were in the Getty Show, the Pacific Standard Time Getty Show. Oh, okay. And uh, so uh, some people saw them there, I'm sure. Yeah, a lot of people. That was yeah. a big show. Yeah, that was a big show. Um, so uh, the thing I was going to ask was, oh, I know. The, um, 
I was reading uh, uh, recently about uh, the Getty has has put together uh, Getty Conservatory or what is it the Getty Research people or whatever Center, right yeah um, ha- have been um, putting together like white papers on how to deal with like damaged Bailey Al Bankston and <laughs> damaged McCracken fiberglass planks and all that and it's pretty interesting they have like the, they did the research on the actual chemical makeup of the different resins, like in the in the Dwayne Valentine pieces. Yeah, I guess what I, I read, which crazy was, he had, a, I guess he was he, kind of a chemist, really, because he he created a resin that actually became like a a, a production resin that was you know trademarked Hastings and everything. Plastic in Santa Monica used that that uh, recipe. That's what they made is from from his uh, yeah, I, I, research. It sounded as if it was trademarked and that it would became like an industrial kind of application, Like, but he was originally just trying to make art with it. Well, you know that the, the resin, the catalyst that went into the resin heated up to an amazing uh, temperature and it was dangerous to do. <laughs> and so what he would do, <laughs> Duane had a studio in Venice that had a back door that slid open and so he would put the casting material by the back door with the idea that if it got hot and started to... <laughs> start to torch, yeah. Torched up, he would just push it into the, the <laughs> alley and minimize the, the damage to his place. So yeah, yeah. that was kind of the story that went around afterwards. Well, we used to make our own surfboards and, that, you know, we'd be stoned and, did, you know, overcook the, you know, put too much catalyst in it, you know, on the hot coat. And it would... <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. I saw those pictures of the flaming surfboards. I wondered where they came from. <laughs> yeah, that was my shop. <laughs> yeah, that was you know it was pretty funny. They we and likewise we you know we put it in the coffee can or whatever, knowing that it would probably if we made it too hot, it'd be too hot, and and put it we'd put it by the door and kick it out the door. <laughs> Because we were, you know, as we were kids, we didn't, you know, we didn't measure anything. It was no, like, oh, no. this was, yeah, this looks good. That was pretty funny. So, um, I was trying, what else is there on our little, do you have any more, those are great stories. you have more stories about, like, that kind of, those kind of people, that era person? Like, do you have any Larry Bell stories? Well, you've got his hat. Yeah, Larry Bell is a great character. I love the photograph of him in his underwear on Venice Beach with the hat on, and uh, that's a very funny shot. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I have not. Very funny. But, you know, Larry Bell is on the Beatles' uh, Magic Mystery Tour album cover. The, He's the one Sergeant of those Peppers. Characters. Yeah. yeah, Sergeant Peppers, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, with Muhammad Ali and so... And Wallace Berman. Yes. Wallace Berman's on there. So you know about that. Well, yeah, I, lo- I loved uh, McCracken's work and uh, John McCracken. I thought he he was a great, great artist, and to me, he was a crazy man that uh, made beautiful objects. Yeah, I don't know his story. What I I mean, I'm really familiar with the planks and everything, but why was he a crazy? Or not crazy. Well, I think that he thought in terms of making artwork that w- that uh, extraterrestrials would understand. That was kind of his deal. Oh. 
and I think that it was, I think he was kind of talking to his God by doing that, and I think he made beautiful pieces because of it, but I, but it, you know, it's really kind of a strange concept to me. I always, we had a lot of arguments, he and I, about extraterrestrials because I didn't, I've never had the experience of yeah. meeting one, so I was like kind of a little I sketchy know. about it. Right, but he was convinced he had? Yeah, I think that he really believed that at some point in the future that it would happen and he wanted to make art that they would be able to understand and it was, so it was a criteria that he used to make his art which made kind of sense because from a religious point of view in the old days you would make art to speak to God and so John was making art now that was speaking to his own God and I think that it really uh, didn't made, think of it as a God or just some other being well, you know really... some higher power I think that when you huh. think of aliens that are able to come to the earth they have to have some kind of uh, advanced knowledge that we yeah don't... we have to hope that we get there first because <laughs> if we get discovered we're fucked uh, well, no, I, don't, I think it's the other way around. If we discover them, they're fucked. Well, that's true, too. <laughs> so, but that's... Yeah, whatever's smart enough to get here. But know. anyway, so John McCracken did, the, did planks. That was his deal. Yeah, he yeah. started doing planks that leaned up against the wall. And then they, then they got placed in center into the room and became like monolithic kind of things. And, uh, you know, I think that the movie, uh, Stanley Kubrick's yeah, 2001, I think that that came from John's work because if you, if you know John McCracken's work, it absolutely is like the monolith in right, that right, movie. Right, so, right, right. and it was about the same time. Mm-hmm. It was about 68 and John was, you know, doing them earlier. I think 64 is when John started doing the planks. And he was in that New York show, you know, the uh, primary shape show that was a big, big deal. Made a big, huge impression on the art world at the time. But that had the New York minimalists in it, right? Yes, exactly. And so he was one of the California people that were included. So it would have been like him and and Valentine and... Right. I didn't know that show. And what year was that? Yeah, early 60s, early like 60s. 64 something Whose like gallery that. was that at? No, it was in a museum. Oh. I think it was at the Jewish Museum or something huh. like that. So I will look that up. Yeah. I could be wrong, you know, and I'm sure I'll hear about <laughs> well, it. That's right. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Aggeiger.com. You can, there's a comment section. <laughs> correct correct John is the subtitle. I can take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else you want to talk about? I don't know. I guess I have to do full disclosure here, Michael. We go back a long ways. In fact, there's three of us here that went to see Bob Marley in the 70s. That was his last Southern California show uh, that he did, and it was an amazing thing. I don't know how you feel about it but it was a I don't great really con- remember you don't remember it <laughs> if I do I went to I, I, I to Greg was there as well somebody in the audience so there's the three of us that were at that show and we had our uh, other uh, wives or soon to be wives or whatever right. and we were along at the same time yeah no it was a good show I do remember it was at Poly Pavilion right Is correct that what you're saying? yeah 
And the bass was so nice <laughs> that it, you could feel it in your diaphragm. It was oh, an yeah. amazing experience. I thought my heart was stopping, were, yeah. The spliffs were like being passed around, and it was really... That's why you don't remember, Michael. I know, it's true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. That was fun. Now, we do go a long way back, and we were at USC together. Shout out to, for that. And um, You were the Wunderkind uh, undergrad, <laughs> and I was the... Uh, <laughs> The Lunkhead graduate student. <laughs> Just played our parts perfectly. Yes, we did, and we still continue to do so. I this is true. Well, I don't have anything else to add to you. No, I think if you're done, I'm done. All right, okay. You've been listening to A.G. Geiger Presents, Tales from the L.A. Art Underworld. My guest today was John Eden. You can read my review of Fear in the Sky on our blog at aggeiger.com and learn more about John by following him on Instagram at johneden4749. So that's John, J-O-H-N-E-D-E-N, 4749. A.G. Geiger Presents is produced by me, Michael Delgado, in conjunction with the Mayfair Hotel and music and artist management company Regime72. Check us out at MayfairLA.com, Regime72.com, and of course, aggeiger.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>